From WGVU, this is Focus West Michigan for Tuesday, February 20, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. For our main feature today, Dee Morrison sits down with Audubon Great Lakes to learn about how to spot owls. Also, no historic preservation study committee for John Ball Zoo. A Kent County program is reducing the number of infant sleeping deaths and more state and West Michigan news. Focus West Michigan is brought to you by listeners like you. To support this show and everything we do, visit wgvunews.org and click the donate button. The Grand Rapids City Commission decided today it would not form a historic preservation study committee to determine eligibility for John Ball Zoo and Park. WGVU's David Limbaugh explains why. A number of residents neighboring Grand Rapids' John Ball Zoo are upset over the zoo's plans to expand parking by paving surrounding park green space. In an attempt to preserve the park's grass fields, residents asked the city to form a historic preservation study committee in the hopes that the zoo and park would be designated as a historic district. Ultimately, the city commission voted unanimously declining a preservation committee. Commissioner Drew Robbins explains why. My preference uh, would be to see the continued engagement between the zoo and between the surrounding neighbors to find a solution that works for everybody, and uh, for those reasons I will not be supporting this either. Commissioners cited such a designation would limit city power to make changes to the property, leaving much of that power with the state. There would be very minimal modifications that could be done by city staff, but for the most part, a property once designated has to comply with uh, state guidelines for historic preservation. According to a letter Kent County Administrator Alan Vanderberg wrote to City Manager Mark Washington in January opposing the formation of the study committee, the same process was done back in 2002 and the city did not establish a historic district at that time. The letter goes on to state that this new proposal is, quote, not substantially different, end quote. I'm David Limbaugh. A Kent County program reducing the number of infant sleeping deaths is working. WGVU Steve Morrison spoke to one health expert who credits a countrywide focus on the issue. On average in Kent County, we lose about 5.7 infants for every 1,000 live births due to unsafe sleep. Renee Dunwell co-runs the Safe Sleep program and says in the last three years, those numbers have gone down significantly. She credits a concentrated effort by agencies across Kent County to get out the message on the ABCs of safe sleep, but not all families adhere to those best practices. We have people who choose to co-sleep because that's part of their culture or that's just their personal choice. And then we have instances where, you know, mom or dad just fell asleep with baby. Recognizing that, Dunwell says it's important professionals have open, non-judgmental conversations with families about reducing risks of co-sleeping. The Safe Sleep program now partners with police, fire, and ambulance crews who may go into homes infant health care workers can't reach and have the opportunity to educate parents on safer sleep practices. To help not only spread the messaging, but also make sure that we're connecting families with resources they may need, like panka plays or sleep sacks, different things that help. Parents interested in information on safe sleep can talk to their pediatricians or contact the health department's safe sleep program directly. These are preventable. There's things that we can do to stop this from happening. And we'd really like to get that message out there and hopefully see these numbers decrease even further. I'm Dee Morrison. For the first time since 2020, pet owners in Muskegon will have steps down to the city's dog beach on Lake Michigan. WGVU's Phil Dawson reports. We've now gone four seasons without access at um, what is our dog beach. Muskegon Mayor Ken Johnson says they've not been able to replace the stairs and handicap accessible ramp to the dog beach in Cruzy Park 
after they were damaged by high water and removed in 2020. We do want to provide access at the dog beach. It's definitely a difficult situation. That's Parks and Recreation Director Kyle Karcheski. He says it would cost nearly $2 million to restore the stairs and ramp down to the beach, but for $38,000, they can install some stairs for a temporary fix. To try to get some people down to the beach. Some people and pets are getting to the beach without stairs, and the mayor says they're damaging sensitive dunes climbing up and down. Just using the dunes and causing erosion and, and walking down there and climbing back up. While she says it's not a perfect solution, Vice Mayor Rebecca St. Clair says the stairs help protect the dunes and will get dogs down to the beach. And I want us to not let the perfect be the enemy of the good while we continue to look for perfect. The stairs down to the cruisy dog beach should be in place by May 1st. It is an amenity that is really valuable to the community. I'm Phil Dawson. 63% of American Jews say they feel less safe living in the U.S. in 2024. That's according to a new report released by the American Jewish Committee tracking anti-Semitism. WGVU's Kylie Ambu reports. The fifth annual report from the American Jewish Committee puts a finger on the pulse of how Jews are feeling about anti-Semitism in the U.S., The report holds two key findings. Fears and experiences of anti-Semitism are on the rise, but the general public is also showing more allyship. Holly Huffnagel serves as AJC Director for Combating Anti-Semitism. Overall, uh, we're seeing reporting of incidents increased. I think last year was the the, the biggest reported level of anti-Semitic incidents since data collection started over four decades ago. The study shows one quarter of American Jews have been the target of anti-Semitism in the last year, and young Jews, 18 to 29, were more likely to be reported the target. In 2024, there's a dramatic 41% jump of Jewish Americans saying they feel less safe in the United States. Hafnagel says the number one reason for this is the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. 98% have heard about the attack, so we're basically talking about the whole Jewish community. For 78% of them, it made them feel less safe as a Jewish person in the United States. Hoffnagel says this jump in safety concerns also comes with an increased awareness of anti-Semitism across the nation. One good news finding that we discovered was that over 9 in 10 Americans uh, believe that anti-Semitism is a societal problem, not a Jewish problem, and that it's everyone's responsibility to combat it. AJC says it hopes more awareness can improve outcomes. I'm Kylie Ambu. The body that's responsible for investigating and punishing judicial misconduct in Michigan has agreed to a review of its record of disciplining judges. That's after a request from an association representing the state's black judges. It claimed there's a wide disparity in the commission's track record when it comes to black and white judges. The association requested an audit of the commission's disciplinary record last year and data to prove that, quote, there is no racial bias at the commission. The commission says it's now retained the National Center for State Courts to look into that. That work is set to wrap up in December. A Kent County judge has refused to dismiss a case that seeks to remove disputed Michigan Republican Party Chair Christina Caramo from the job. Caramo's legal team argued the courts did not have jurisdiction over internal political party disputes. The court's ruling is a victory for the faction that named former Congressman Pete Hoekstra as the GOP chair. Robert LeBrant is a longtime Republican attorney. He says former President Donald Trump's endorsement of Hoekstra will also make a difference. This litigation is probably going to favor the the faction of of the state committee that elected, you know, Pete Hoekstra is its chair. The arguments over who's leading the state GOP are scheduled to continue this week in the Kent County Circuit Court. 
The Coast Guard has suspended ice-breaking operations on the eastern Great Lakes due to a lack of ice. According to the National Weather Service, ice cover on the Great Lakes has never been lower this late in February, at least since the agency began keeping records in 1973. Lauren Thomas is the Coast Guard's head of external affairs in the Great Lakes. He says any ice that forms this late in the winter won't pose navigation issues for bulk carriers when the shipping season gets underway next month. It's highly unlikely we're going to probably get into a difficult ice season. If Even if the weather dramatically changed, it's very unusual to make significant amounts of ice late in the season if this warming trend continues. Thomas says the Coast Guard is ready to redeploy its icebreakers in Lake Huron and the St. Clair River if conditions change. And normal icebreaking operations are continuing in the Straits of Mackinac and St. Mary's River, as well as Lake Superior. Your Wednesday edition of the Shelley Irwin Show. Let's put the spotlight on service awards recently presented thanks to West Michigan Works plus Jewish Theater and their latest. That's tomorrow on the Shelley Irwin Show from 9 to 10. Thank you for listening and supporting WGVU. We are now right in the heart of owl viewing season in Michigan, as many rare birds from the Arctic head south for the winter. As WGVU's Dee Morrison discovered, if you want to see one, you have to be in the right place at the right time. She found out how to do that with Erin Rowan Ford of Audubon Great Lakes. We're coming up on what some might say is a great owl season. So January and February, as we're entering the new year, are really the best times to plan an owling trip, partly because at this time of year, we have some rare visitors from far Further north, like snowy owls, boreal owls, great gray owls, and northern hawk owls that overwinter across uh, Canada and into Michigan each year for our warmer, balmier weather. <laughs> we don't think of it as balmy, but they certainly do. If you yeah. want to take an owling trip in Michigan, what does that look like? Yeah, so one of the best places to view these rare owls are Michigan's eastern upper peninsula. Um, and a lot of Michigan public lands are up there, including state game and wildlife areas. But we also have the Shore to Shore Birding Trail, which is a driving route with specific stops for bird viewing opportunities. And that can really help guide you through the eastern UP. I know you have some resources available that will help birders identify what they're seeing, different types of owls. Audubon has an online field guide and a mobile app that can help you identify which owls you are looking at. Um, you can also use the Merlin Bird ID app as well if you're hearing an owl call but are not sure what it is. It has a recording option and some AI that will help identify the bird by the call or song that you're hearing. And we think of owls obviously as nighttime birds. How tricky is it to actually take a birding trip and find owls during the day? Yeah, so it can be a little challenging for some of these owls. Um, some are more active at dawn and dusk. Uh, one of the other reasons this time of year is a great time to go owling is because even our year-round resident owls, like great horned owls, eastern screech owls, and barred owls are also more active at this time of year. These larger raptors actually start nesting in the winter, so they'll be hooting and calling um, at dawn and dusk to start establishing their nesting 
nesting territories and find a mate. So those are some other birds you could keep your eyes peeled for across the state if you don't manage to get up to the eastern UP. But once you're up in the eastern UP trying to find these more rare visitors, each one has different habitats that they would be found in. So luckily, snowy owls, they're probably the ones that you would be most likely to see. They're all rare, uncommon birds, but snowy owls, their regular winter range includes the state of Michigan, and they like to be out in open areas, so open fields, and they like to kind of perch in conspicuous places as well to hunt. So they will be somewhere high, like on top of a rooftop of a shed or on top of a fence post, looking out for small rodents and and other creatures to munch on. That said, they can also be found on shorelines and coasts and wetlands, but also places like parks, trash dumps, uh, which surprisingly, um, and airports. And if you are lucky enough to encounter one of the owls, there are some do's and don'ts that you recommend. Definitely, yeah. So this is really important. And I know, you know, a lot of folks get so excited to see owls, as do I, um, but it's always important to remember to give owls space. So viewing them from a distance with binoculars or a scope even is best practice. You want to make sure that your presence doesn't alter the behavior of the owl. So if you notice the owl fly away from its perch, you've gotten too close and you need to back away. We also don't recommend luring owls with audio recordings because hearing another owl's call can be stressful. And then live baiting also is something that sometimes folks do thinking, oh, this is a great way that I can get a close look at this bird or get that perfect shot. And it's a win-win, right? Because they get some food. But unfortunately, the reality is that owls can learn to associate food with people and then be drawn to dangerous areas like roads or airports. And then finally, if folks are eBird users and want to contribute their observations to community science, there's a way you can still do that and submit your observation, but you can make it so it's not accessible to the public. And that will just help prevent crowds from gathering. Sometimes if an owl is spotted in an area where there are lots of people, it can draw a crowd and and end up causing disturbance to that bird. How helpful is it to the scientists to have amateurs or even professional birders in the field able to provide them some information about what they're seeing? Yeah, eBird is an incredibly useful tool. That is a data set that has been used in a lot of peer-reviewed studies, and I do highly encourage folks to continue to use eBird for all of their winter birding observations. Folks can contribute to that any time of year, um, any time of day, and even from the comfort of their own home if they just want to keep a backyard bird list. Can you tell me a little bit, Erin, about Michigan Birds? I know that's a partnership with Audubon Great Lakes and the DNR. Yeah, so My Birds, which is short for Michigan Birds, is a public engagement and outreach program that Audubon Great Lakes and Michigan Department of Natural Resources founded, and it works to get more Michiganders out on their public lands and engaged in the understanding and stewardship of these important places for birds and people. Um, so if folks are interested in learning more about Michigan's birds, they can follow us online at gl.audubon.org forward slash mibirds, or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I know we're sort of encouraging people because now is the time that it's easiest to see them, mm-hmm. but they seem like they really spark some excitement. Are owls just a very popular bird? 
Yes, they are. And I think it's partly due to the fact that they are difficult to find and see. Even our year-round residents that we are more likely to encounter, because they're more active at dawn and dusk, it usually takes some planning and effort to get out to the right places and find them. And even then, they do blend in so well with uh, the tree bark. Even some of our rare visitors, like great gray owls and boreal owls, northern hawk owls, if you're seeing them perched in a tree and they're close to that trunk, the patterns on their feathers can really help them blend in with that trunk. So unless you catch them moving and that catches your eye, they can be very still and just kind of magically blend in. And then also snowy owls are just kind of that magical bird, you know, in part due to Harry Potter and Hedwig, but they are just beautiful to see. And because they're from the Arctic, they aren't naturally afraid of humans either. So they can sometimes be found in more urban places and and they are still a very rare and, and special treat for folks. And, and they are so beautiful, too. Those bright golden eyes, they're just, there's something about them that, yeah, is, is very special. Thank you, Erin. I appreciate your time with us today. This has been Focus West Michigan from WGVU for Tuesday, February 20, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. Our audio operations manager is Rick Beerling, and our news and public affairs director is Patrick Center. We'll be back with more news and events in West Michigan tomorrow, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.